Hello and welcome to QCast podcast episode number 34 for November 25th, 2013. My name is Andrew King, like always, and here with me, like always, the new UK champion is Tom Barlow. Tom, what's up? Um, my arm itches. Your arm itches? So, uh, like I just said, the new UK champion, congratulations. Yeah, cheers. Like, I kind of lucked out. Um, you, what do you mean you lucked out? Well, like, you got you got a pretty solid average in not, the final round. Well, it was kind of meh. I didn't get sub 10, so I'm just like, meh. But the only reason why I came first is because the scrambles were really bad, and everyone else just failed. And it was like, the, I held out, basically. So did you perform how you wanted to during the competition, <laughs> or not did you get... You didn't get a sub no, 10 like, average, right? In the first round... Um, my the five souls I did were my first five souls of the day, and they were like, yeah, stupid. And then in the second round, my second soul was a DNF, so that just sent me crazy. And the finals was the finals, so I didn't really get to the, a chance to focus properly. But meh, whatever. I had fun at the competition. It was good. Um, I didn't. Not- I didn't actually find out I won until afterwards when someone contacted me contacted me because I had to leave um, after I did my solves and I think uh, Daniel Shepherd said to me oh you've you've come third at least and I was like oh you can just give me that trophy now I'm not going to come first and then just left and then hooray except you weren't there for the ceremony no I had to go like you idiot <laughs> what how does that make me an idiot what are you talking about I had, I had to get to work oh my gosh yeah uh, so I think um, so. Brandon's no first place a trophy uh, uh, mail also. Uh, that's funny. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Now that I'm looking at the other rounds, it's kind of like everyone else did bad. Yeah, like you just said, and you did all right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so it's like uh, whatever. Oh, I uh, I didn't. Um, I'm not showing you this yet. <laughs> um, on the second day, where um, uh, like where the finals were held and people were taking videos and stuff. I'd spent the whole day dressed up in, like, a wolf outfit, like, <laughs> the whole time. And there's, like, a picture of me on some website of a news article. I'm just in this, like, wolf onesie. It's pretty funny. Like an actual costume. Yeah. Like, because normally I just wear, like, cat ears, whatever. But this year I decided yeah. to, like, dress up, go go the whole... Go for it. Oh. <laughs> it's kind of funny. That's... Uh, a random Cuba wearing a wolf costume is the UK champion. It was really warm when I was wearing it as well. <laughs> oh, I bet, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I thought in the morning, like, I'm not getting the train to go to the competition while dressed like this. So I had to, like, get changed in the taxi on the way there. It's kind of weird. Oh. <laughs> yeah. What an adventure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, dude, uh, congrats. Did you... Do well in any of the other rounds, like four by four, five. Um, I know you don't do the yeah, other I cubes. Yeah, I doing them. Um, but oh, on two by two, I got a one point nine, but it was a plus two. So, mm-hmm. so gutted. <laughs> There's my chance, but you know it's two by two single. Who cares? Whatever. Anyway, um, I managed to get a Waysu four by four. I bought it like at the competition and competed with it. And since I've not practiced 4x4 four four for ages and still got a normal average, it was like, oh, okay, this cube, this cube is good. Yeah, we'll talk about that when uh, we introduce the guest. Oh, okay. But, um, 
I guess before we bring them on, I wanted to talk about the new show format. If you haven't noticed, I said episode number 34 because we're trying something a little different, something I've been thinking about for a while. Um, the whole season two and season three deal is a little confusing for most of you, I guess, and me, and scheduling that, scheduling that with two different groups is a pain in the ass. So what I did is just combine both groups, me, Tom, uh, Chris, and uh, Brigham. Oh, my gosh. This is embarrassing. Austin? I'm blank. Austin. Yeah, Austin Reed. Right. I'm sorry, Austin. I don't remember that. You know. I'm I'm a little tired right now, but um, oh, we're yeah, gonna combine sure, into cast of cast of four people and um bring him on like rotation wise or whoever is available at a certain time. Yeah. That way we can do episodes more often. Yeah. I'll try to. We'll try our best to do like one every two weeks. Instead of like one every two months, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's a it turns it more into like a UK panel show as well, like having different guests on each week. Like, yeah. Um, do you know what I mean? Like QI or something. I don't know if you have those type of panel shows in the US. I get the impression that it's rare. Oh, well, I don't watch TV in the US anymore, so I don't watch TV much, except for Breaking Bad, which just finished. Yeah. Devastated. Yeah. I have nothing to do on Mondays anymore. <laughs> uh, so basically, that's what we're going to do. Um, Guest-wise, we're going to try to bring on the guests as often as possible. So, like, we may have an odd episode where we don't have a guest because the scheduling didn't work out. But, um, yeah, it should be the same old show, hopefully, just more often. Yeah. And... One last thing is uh, we got a new sponsor for the show. It is uh, speedsolving.com's official cube shot. There's uh, Speed Puzzles. And we thank them for sponsoring the show. And if you go to the website and add in the coupon, coupon code uh, CubeCast, you get $5 off any order. So go ahead and do that. And uh, we thank uh, Speed Puzzles for sponsoring the show. Do we get like free stuff uh, sponsoring them? Why do you ask that right now? <laughs> Why wouldn't I? <laughs> um, you know, I'm just trying to get an in. I mean, they help for pay for some stuff and things like that. And uh, depending on how this goes, we'll see what comes in the future. But Tell them to like buy me a car or something. Buy you a car. Yeah, that'd uh, be cool. I want a car. A small business speed keep shop. <laughs> buy you a car. Yeah. <laughs> like a Hot Wheels car, the little toy cars? No, no, like um, a monster truck. Like, so then I don't even have to pay attention to traffic and can just drive over it. Yeah, if you can get us like three million more, you know, <laughs> subscribers to the show, you know, I'm sure we can work that out. Um, I'll see what I can do. All right. So let's move on to the guest. Uh, our guest from California, I believe. He's the former president of the Stanford Cube Club. German speed cuber, one of the oh, host, hosting one of the more famous websites in the speed cubing community. Does a bunch of stuff. A member of the WRC. It's Lucas Guerin. Lucas, welcome to the show. Hello. Indeed, in California. Hello. Yes, <laughs> I was right. <laughs> um, so... You are one of the more requested guests for the show, I guess, and uh, it's glad I'm glad to finally have you on. 
I'm glad um, to be on. Um, I don't know. I wasn't much in a hurry. <laughs> There's a bunch of stuff to talk about, but uh, before we get on to that. Um, so you're the former president, so until last year, you went into Stanford 2008, right? So you graduated. Yeah, I was 08, and I took over the club from Timmy Wong and did it for a few years. And then Ravi Fernando came in, and he was actually president last year, technically. And then we had uh, uh, Justin Lin came in, and we have now Gavin Nelson who came. So we have quite a few. So it'll change among them. But they're technically in charge now. Wow. Um, It's cool that um, a Q club actually has – somebody to take over when one of the presidents leaves because for for my high school when I left the cube club it pretty much died Tyson, my graduation. Uh, Tyson has a good policy for this which is as president of the cube club or something like that you have two responsibilities one do your job two find a successor uh, Berkeley yes. has been really good at this um, we've been okay but part of the reason that we've had trouble is because Berkeley actually has a lot of good cubers and they helped us run competitions for a while so they're cool, but we sort of have our own thing. It'll it'll hopefully get better. We might start holding competitions again. Yeah, I haven't seen one in a while. Um, I remember it used to be a few years back there would be a competition like every few months from Stanford. Um, so that actually comes down to the fact that organizing is trickier because we don't have a cube class like Berkeley does because they're stricter on us about what kinds of classes we can hold. Um, and so it's been harder to get everyone together sort of casually to cube uh, because they weren't quite enough. Uh, quite enough members to justify yeah. holding it. Okay. Um, so if you have a cube club, first get people and then get them to be. <laughs> <laughs> yes, first get people. And then number two, if you're the president, do your job. Um <laughs> uh, uh, but training a successor is significant. It's easy to just sort of do what you're supposed to, run a competition, uh, make sure it happens, stay up all night printing scrambles or whatnot. Uh, but Berkeley, they have a pretty good system. They they say so-and-so is in charge of the scrambles, somebody's bringing the timers, somebody's bringing the this and that. And so not only is it not too stressful for anyone, but everyone knows a little bit of what to do, and it just carries itself forward, which is quite a good way to run a cube club if you can ever set it up like that. Yeah, and I guess it's easier to replace the individual, like, jobs that people are doing. Exactly. If they're just, like, doing one tiny bit instead of the whole thing. Um, It's significant for colleges because they have a turnaround of four years, whereas national uh, sort of, I don't quite want to say organizations, but in Europe, generally, there's certain kinds of people in certain countries who organize things and change as much as people being in colleges. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I but, guess uh, I guess four years is like a short amount of time to establish yourself even. Um, it's enough to establish yourself, but then you have to do something with it. <laughs> I guess. And that's up to your successor usually. Uh, yeah. Um, for example, I was uh, Arthur Adams uh, went to Brown uh, and I went to Stanford same year because we were in high school together. And he, held, he ran a decent club in Brown, but I don't know if anything has happened since he graduated. Uh, I've gotten a bit more lucky in that I have successors who just naturally came in, but it's pretty tricky. Now, Ravi Fernando is one of the better cubers out there, so... <laughs> uh, yeah, he's toasting us at all the competitions. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I have a... Let's go over this. Um, so, you're the president of the cube club, and I'm sure you 
there was already a few cubers who were already good at cubing that joined, but I'm sure there were many members that didn't know how to cube, right? That that were interested in cubing and joined the cube club. Um, so how was it? How's your process for, I guess, teaching the new members on how to cube? Will it was it easy to get them to learn? So we, that's exactly the thing we kind of failed to do. Um, there are a lot of people who come in who know how to solve a cube and, you know, it's probably close to 10 seconds, 15, 20, 30, and you run into them around campus. Uh, the problem is getting the word out and getting everyone together. So right now it's been mostly, um, like, Ravi teaches a few of friends. I teach a few of my friends, occasionally get them to come to competitions, and people just show up. Uh, the, the better system is really what Berkeley has, which is established a class so that you have a pretense to get everyone to show up because they have, they're getting units for it, and uh, have uh, they have groups of um, people usually go with one experienced cuber and learn various things. Uh, I have to admit, their system is actually much better. Um, this is this is our big game week, and there should be a big rivalry between Cal and Berkeley, but I will admit, they're better on this. So wait, so it's like part of the course. Yeah, so they they run a they run a course uh, regularly. I did it once. Uh, I had to make it more academic because of the requirements, because of the way that Stanford does these classes, and I couldn't quite get it to be like the Berkeley course, where instead of teaching people about it, you get them to really care, and then yeah. then once they care, <laughs> the theory is interesting to them, as opposed to being a sort of diversion that just happens to be one class for them. Yeah, um, it is and rather it tricky. It's like a chore. It's not necessarily sure if you keep it like that, but um, it just isn't something that that is natural for them to care more about. Okay. Mm. Okay. So, um, oh, I just lost my lost my train of thought here. You're so, so brain dead today. I am so brain dead. Keep I'm it sorry, together, but I'm man. gonna try to get myself pumped up for this. Get more sleep. Get it always works. Water. Oh, I slept 12 hours. I don't know what's going on. Maybe I slept too much. <laughs> so, at Stanford Cube, what can we expect another competition? You said you were... Oh, and we do question, get questions about that. Um, Weston uh, is currently the president, and he wanted to organize one next quarter. So, hopefully we'll see one then. And hopefully we'll have... There should be me, him, Justin, Ravi, Mackie, uh, Bad Mephisto, Andrew Carpathy, who hasn't been out to competitions much. And maybe some others. So we're looking forward to that. Hopefully next quarter, February or so. That's a big lineup. A yeah, hopefully, weeks. hopefully a big lineup who will can who can stay and run the competition. <laughs> um, what's the average attendance for like a Stanford competition? Uh, I think we used to get around sixty, um, fifty or wow. sixty, um, but we haven't had one for a while. So I don't know how it would be if we held one again. Yeah, that's pretty nice, though. Um, let's move on to I guess what your known for a lot of your cubing websites. You have a huge hub of different little internet toys that people can play with and look at, um, like us. So how did you get started with uh, uh, this whole stuff? Uh, that's a fun story. That was before speedsolving.com, back when we were at speedsolving Rubik's Cube, which is the Yahoo forum. I posted something about it would be nice to have a Firefox extension or something where you could just type or highlight an alg and view it. And so I made one, and I posted about it. And so you could right-click, and then when there were little search engines in the corner that you could search for, one of them would be a thing that would animate your alg. Uh, there had been something like that out there, but it, it didn't have too many features, so I just started building more and more features. 
And I didn't know much JavaScript at the time, so I just heaped on more and more, and the code was a total mess. Uh, the thing is, the code is still in that state because it just works. Uh, it turns out people yeah. don't care how it's implemented. Um, <laughs> they just want something useful. Uh, and somehow this took off because there wasn't anything else. Um, there were cube applets, but nobody like goes around making pages, configuring it uh, as much as they used to. Uh, it's just easier to show someone al an alg. Um, so I added features that people wanted. And eventually, just about now, um, I've managed to, to to get the initiative to rewrite it. So alg.cubing.net is currently live. Uh, it doesn't quite work, uh, but it, <laughs> it takes all the good stuff from there, hopefully, and makes it a bit more usable. And it should work on things like mobile phones and um, allow wow. myself to add more features to that. Um, so I haven't quite posted on the forum about that yet, but it's coming soon. Uh, and I'm hoping to take more feedback for like what kinds of people things people actually care about. Um, it should hopefully integrate with uh, what Statue is working on, which is an ALG database to play back ALGs a bit better than, oh, here's an ALG and here's an ALG, and I'm going to view them separately, yeah. ideally, in one place. So you you got in early, huh? If you're talking about the Yahoo speedcubing group. Yeah, it's just like 07 and 08. Um, yeah. uh, can, you, can you tell us a little bit? I, I know I skipped over. It should have been the first thing, but can you tell us a bit about your, I guess, history of cubing? And uh, what, what, how you got started and what kept you going? Um, I started, let's see, I used to have the date listed on my website. It was either October or November 25th, 2005. It was, if it was November, then this has been exactly oy, eight years of speed cubing for me. What? It, we started uh, the same month then. If it's October, we started at the same time. Um, well, in, that, in either case, it's fairly close. Yeah, <laughs> you've done a bit, awesome. You've gotten a bit faster than me in that time. <laughs> um, so oh. the reason it started is it's part of an interesting story with a bunch of things. This is Berkeley Math Circle is a cool organization where you where high schoolers went and learned various math things outside of school, a lot of cool stuff you don't learn in school. And on their website, um, they had something, uh, a cube paper by Tom Davis. And so I went and looked at my drawer for my cube because I was interested. And I brought it to school the next day and... Uh, a friend of mine in Arthur's, uh, Joseph Doolittle, knew how to solve it, and he showed us. And so he had figured it out with help his, from his dad, who didn't quite tell him what to do, but gave him some encouraging tips. And so Arthur and I started solving it. And then we went to the Exploratorium competition in 2006. And the Exploratorium competitions were wonderful, if anybody was around in that time, um, because the Exploratorium is a really big, open, science-y room filled with lots of exhibits, which was old, an old warehouse. So it's just a kind of a cool space. And I like the lighting, yeah. even if some people complain about it. Um, and I didn't know what comp cube competitions were like at the time. And, well, it was my introduction to the community. We just showed up. We thought we'd watch. We'd maybe, you know, cube around with some people. But it turns out they're happy to just let you show up and compete. And so we did. I think I borrowed a cube from someone. I don't even remember whom or what the cube was like. And I got um, over a minute. I think I averaged around 130. Um and that sort of got me into it. I came back for nationals, which were in the same place, and started going to the Berkeley competitions, which were hosted that fall, and it just kept going. Um, and Arthur and I eventually ended up going to college and kept cubing and saw each other once in a while. So I've been mostly still in the area around with the Berkeley cubers and stuff. And the Exploratorium competitions, unfortunately, aren't happening because the Exploratorium has moved, and we might contact them again about it sometime. Um, but those are the days. 
Um, Those are the days. But they were really cool competitions, and um, it was uh, very encouraging. The atmosphere was really cool. Um, it's still cool in, like, you know, a Berkeley classroom, um, but there was a larger audience there, and um, the original atmosphere of just show up, come hang out, cube, is not what I quite expected, and it's always hard to convey that to newcomers. They always think they have to be fast, and it's competitive. And oh, I tell them, yeah. I, I went there, I was 130, I had fun, and I came back, and I probably wouldn't have kept cubing and been interested as much if I hadn't gone, even if I was 130. Um, so at least I have an excuse to encourage cubers if they're any faster than 130 go to a competition it'll be fun yeah and what a cool co what a cool competition space for your first competition Tom do you remember your first competition and where it was held yeah um, was it an ex was it a cool ass exploratorium like Lucas's I think were, it was in like a just a hall and there were like 15 people or something silly <laughs> It was kind of cool, like, because when the UK competition started, there was only, like, one a year. So for the first four years of cubing, I was attending a competition a year. So I was still, I was still kind of filled with, like, a sense of wonder and stuff about the whole thing. Yeah. But, yeah, it was a good uh, laugh. I hope you're I still mean, filled like, with I was a sense saying, of wonder. Well, kind of. Now it's just more like, oh, I get to see my friends and just hang out for a bit. Like I was saying about the competition, like I don't, I didn't really care so much that my results weren't great or whatever, because you know it's fun just going down anyway. But it's more fun being in a wolf costume. <laughs> yeah, that applies to anything, though. I have yet to see <laughs> pictures of that. Yeah, uh, a, I can show you the news article. L link like, it to me, Tom, so I can. There's a um, it. there's a there's a video on YouTube of the finals. Um, okay. It's on the forum somewhere. Uh, um, I remember my first competition was held in a high school cafeteria, and uh, Tyson and Leon Lowe were there um, to help organize everything. And yeah. I got a. Oh, the Tyson and Leon days were good too. Oh yeah. Um, they I also organized the, Cal the the Caltech organization team was in charge of the exploratorium competitions, and Leon set his world record there. So. Hmm. Oh, it they was that 11-second record. Yeah, 11-13. Yeah. Oh, so that was the space. That's a cool That's a cool stage then. Anyhow, yeah, Andrew was explaining his thing, though. I, let me not interrupt. Uh, no, no, you, you interpreted with something much more interesting. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, that's pretty much uh, my first competition in a high school cafeteria. And uh, it was kind of lame my first competition was held there my second third and fourth competition were held there too so <laughs> whatever um so before we got got off on that tangent we were talking about uh uh US and um what other things i guess can we Oh wait wait out? i have a question um yes you know the alg.garand.us the new version the alg.cubing.net or whatever yeah is it still using the Randall Schoffer applet? No. Uh, that's one of the main things, and that's the thing that took me the most time. It's now completely <laughs> written in JavaScript, which means oh, it works excellent. better and on more devices and everything. And yeah. I can add new features. Okay. What, is it using, like, twisty.js or something? Yeah. Oh, it's yeah, actually, yes. Based on 3.js. Awesome. Can you do, like, can you do, um, like, you know, heist controls or something? Uh, you can actually, and one plan is to, at some point, somewhere, 
at a cube simulator that does all the things that people have done, hopefully put together in the best way possible. Yeah. Um, so the controls are there. I've currently disabled them on out.cubing.net itself. Um, yeah, so yeah. you should be able to support all those controls. It should be hopefully possible to add all the puzzles we care about, which haven't quite been done in one place. Uh, so <laughs> more puzzles I'm excited about and some way to integrate the whole apply moves, solve it, do those kinds of things to the view the algorithms um, that hasn't been connected. And those are my yeah. main goals. Okay, awesome. Because that was like my main gripe with uh, the old version. Probably everyone's. Um, like, it did have a way to input them, the alg typer feature, but no, no. It, I mean, um, I mean the use of Java specifically. Oh yeah, I, it won't even run on my computer. <laughs> yeah, same. So I, I have good motivation <laughs> to switch to this, is because I can't use it. <laughs> so you can't even use it yourself. Guess <laughs> <laughs> um, the next kind of bullet point. Uh, is uh, life.keeping.net is the li live results that uh, everyone likes to use during the large competitions. Uh, can you explain uh, oh, a little bit about that? That has a fun story, too. Um, it's not used anymore because of cube comps, and I'm really glad cube comps took off. Um, the origin for live.keeping.net is actually the first competition I hosted is was uh, San Francisco 2009, SF09, and that was actually the last exploratorium competition. Um, which was like the third anniversary of when I started. Um, that was also one of the biggest competitions ever, actually. It had like 149 competitors, while Worlds had had 150. Uh, in 2009, that was a lot of people. And Ooh. I wanted to do live results, because for some reason I was crazy enough to do that. So I asked around and <laughs> got the Polish code base, uh, because the Polish had a live results system, um, which was fun because it had all sorts of variables and code in Polish, so I still remember Vinyaki is the word for results because it showed up <laughs> everywhere. Um, and um, they had a complicated system, not a complicated system, they had a system where they input the stuff locally and then they mirrored it to the web and it changed it actually so that when you input something on your computer, it would live update on the website um, for every single thing that was input. So this was the beginning of people complaining. It's like, ooh, does Dan have a new world record? I think Dan Zone's time was entered incorrectly. Um, so that, for that unfortunately hasn't dissipated people mistaking live results for actual results. Um, yeah. But I somehow got this to work, even though I had a really complicated protocol that was unnecessarily secure to try to make sure that nobody could tamper with the stuff. Uh, anyhow, after that, I kept wanting to support that, and other people were interested. So Dan Cohen wrote something, and Jim Mertens got something to work. And Dan Cohen had a really nice interface where he just went up and down through the rounds and viewed things. And so we put those together. We used them at the Stanford competition in 2009. Uh, sorry, the national championship, which was at Stanford in 2009. Um, and after deploying this on various competitions, mostly Berkeley and Stanford websites, uh, we wanted a common place to give to people all around the world. So Jim and I worked on that, and around the middle of 2011, uh, we put up live.cubing.net. Mostly his work on the back end. I tried to make it look nice um, on the front, and we started using it for nationals, and it actually got used for worlds that year pretty soon. Um, and the only reason people don't use it anymore is because it encouraged, hopefully I would like to think, encouraged cube comps. Uh, which is obviously a much better system, and um, I'm glad that we have that now because it's sort of the standard and nobody even thinks about it. And I'm just glad we got to that point. It didn't used to happen. So that's sort of the story of live.cubing.net. It came, it went, it did its job. <laughs> it Very nice. Away for the rest to come. 
Yeah. There's still there's still progress to be made, but CubeComps is pretty all right, and it works pretty well. All right, so you know it's still funny when uh, we see posts on Reddit or speed solving that uh, so and so got a three point four like three by three single and like you're retarded and shut up. Like, uh, there's a post on speed solving that I made that's stickied in the uh, WCA subform, which is if there's a result. Email the results team. It's results at worldcubeassociation.org. That's the thing you should do. <laughs> uh, is, that a, is that a troll thing or what? No, it's a, uh, if you want, uh, sorry, live results are a different thing. If they're there, then try to contact someone. But if it, if it ever ends up on a, on a website that's purported to be official, um, just email the results team instead of complaining about it. Oh. <laughs> okay, so I guess, um, Check out all of Lucas's stuff uh, on uh, alg.cubing.net US. Uh, currently, alg.garen.us, and then alg.cubing.net is sort of getting there. It'll be broken if you play with it right now, but uh, if you want to look around and see how, how it's currently working and what kinds of things you might actually like, I'd like, I'm looking forward to feedback once I actually start posting. This is now ready, but even before. Yeah, um, just a heads up. Um, this is probably just my setup, but it, I seem to get a lot of lag on, like, twisty.js. Oh, yes. Uh, I currently have a bunch of things configured so that it won't work that well. Right, um, okay. So, uh, the biggest problem right now is if I notice that um, if you go there, you get this kind of highs of view except tilted, which is yeah. all the stickers and nothing else. It turns out if I add cubies, something goes wrong, and the black of the plastic of the cubies shows up on top of stickers sometimes. Oh. And I tried to configure it in various ways to make it better and therefore faster, hopefully, but I haven't actually gotten anything to work yet. Um, oh, okay. And currently, it's it's based on however quickly it can update, that quickly it will animate. So on, on a phone, it might be much slower. Um, there's yeah. a way to fix that. I just haven't gotten around to it. Oh, okay. What, um, so, what libraries are you using for it? Oh, the main one is 3.js, which is by a guy named Mr. Doom, uh, which is okay. sort of the thing that everyone uses for 3D on the web. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And it's pretty solid. Uh, it's a little bit tricky to use, which is why I haven't gotten the cubies not to show up under the stickers. <laughs> but uh, I, I'm mostly using that and nothing else. Um, it's okay. pretty well-featured. Um, I'm also using angular.js, which is a way to sort of uh, get the page to all work well. It's really for data binding. So if you type in some algorithms, um, you'll notice that the URL at the top updates, which means you can always just yeah. go up there and copy and paste it immediately. And oh, the cube will update. And uh, if you if you change the cube size, that will all update, and the form links will all update live, um, which will hopefully make it more convenient to just like go and share. How how does it update the URL without like uh, well Angular just does it? Um, what I just the hell? Tell it to. <laughs> okay. It didn't so used to be that browsers would do this, but now they just can because it's expected. So oh, okay, cool. cool. All right. Well, I guess it's time to move on to uh, MGLS is one of the methods that uh, you and uh, Mackie kind of created. Yeah, he, he came up with it, and and I found the outs for it and started using it. Um, yeah. There's a few ways to explain it. The way I usually like to explain it is during British, you're solving cross and then four slots and then OLL and PLL. And the last slot has a corner and an edge, right? You place the corner on the edge. And the OLL has corners and edges that you're orienting. 
So what you do in MGLS instead is you do the edge parts of the last slot and the OLL together. So you place the edge and oriented, and then you do the corner parts. So you just switch around the last slot, last layer combination to edge parts, corner parts. Uh, that said, the corner part, which is CLS, has a bunch of cool features. Uh, because you're already starting with edges oriented, it's first of all useful for methods that already have edges oriented like ZB or ZZ or Petrus. Uh, and it's also 2Gen, or in fact what I call 2Gen, where you can just do right triggers and use. Uh, and so you get a lot of really fast algs like that for that stage, um, a lot of which help you skip things around in Friedrich. Um, and you want me to explain more about what it's useful before or what's happened to it? Or? <laughs> yeah, what's the, yeah, yeah, what's the current state of MJLS? Uh, the current state is there are some algs out there. Um, <laughs> the hope with any new method, of course, is that you discover something that's cool and fast and makes you beat everyone else. I yeah. think the conclusion that we've come to in the last few years is this, it's not really about having any clever algs. It's just about going really fast. Bridget has the benefit that all the four slots are basically the same. You get a bit more constricted, but... Basically, the same means you have to do less thinking, and you just really go for it. And uh, MGLS, you have this little thing where you need to make sure the cube is rotated in the right place, which isn't too bad, but that and the recognition and the fact that it's a bit weird throws people off. And there's also more algs. So people always ask, is what is better about it? Does it have a smaller move count? Is it this? Is it that? Um, and the funny thing is, actually, it does have a smaller move count if you care about move count, but you don't really care about new plan. You care about turning it well. And in fact, this this two gen two gen thing on the right um, makes it speed up quite a bit. So I think the optimal thing for it is really um, in combination with Swedish. Uh, I'm personally trying to learn the rest of OLL, and I think that the way that it will be useful for most people is to learn a bunch of the simpler cases that are non-obvious because they occasionally show up. Um, I found a bunch of interesting algs that Swedish users would normally come across uh, and just simply throw them in. Um, so the oh. state of it is it kind of works. It's not really any faster than Friedrich. It's not really any slower, so no one bothers with it. But there's a bunch of cool things to learn from it. Um, yeah. Plus, you get to make everyone think that you skip OLL all the time. It's just fun. <laughs> they always get confused when they're judging you, and they're like, did you just skip OLL again? And I'm like, nope. Yes, yes, I did. Yes, I did. That, <laughs> Every time. That's good. I should just say that and, and pretend I'm just that cool. <laughs> so it kind of like sounds like a lot of other cubing methods right now that just cubers kind of cherry pick the best parts of each and kind of just mishmash them all together. Definitely seems to be heading there. Uh, it's kind of cool and kind of disconcerting. Like two by two, in order to be fast, you just learn CLL and then like five other weird methods. And yeah, you just learn more and more algs from different subsets. Yeah. Uh, it turns out sort of everyone can turn fast, right? Um, uh, yeah, somewhat. So some people are a bit faster, but Felix, for example, just like his recognition is zero, almost. Yeah. Um, and so it's not quite about doing the right algs. It's about knowing the right thing. And often that isn't necessarily just the algs. It's like knowing the right alg set and sometimes restricting it. Um, but it's knowing the right things so that when you actually get down to speed cubing, you don't have to look as much, you don't have to think as much. And it, it seems to be that for all the puzzles, the way to do that is to start with something basic that's simple and then speed it up wherever it's slow. So people are learning all the last layer steps and whatnot. You, so Tom, you, you have Rue, right? Yeah, yeah. So does that sort of apply to Rue? Start from something basic? Yeah, of basic course. Like, um, so you learn like CLL. 
um, and for the third step. But then um, later on, you just add extra algs for like poor CLL cases where you can flip some edges to improve the last six edges. And then you're just learning other things. Like, you know, you learn OLL skip tricks in uh, CFOP. It's like that in real where you learn like force last layer skip tricks and stuff. Yeah. It's essentially the same thing. Excellent. In my case, I, I always get to tell people, there's this really cool trick that I can do sometimes. I can use a step called OLL to get <laughs> things if I happen to have my corner or edge placed. Yeah, I was going to mention that. It used to be in your SIG, didn't it? Uh, what did? Uh, the, you use a trick called OLL sometimes. I'm not sure if it used to be in my signature, maybe. Um, oh, okay. But I do. I recall you saying it. Um, I have definitely said it because it's... <laughs> It's very complimentary, and it's it's actually a pretty good. It's boring, but it's a good step. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I always found MGLS to be like it's like an interesting quirk. It's like a perfectly viable alternative, but I can imagine there are many others that are similar, like to MGLS that are possible, like um, last slot variations. But it's yeah, like a lot of people I, like basically all the slot, last slot variations have sort of been thought out. People come up with slightly different variants and describe yeah. them and recombining them. Um, I happen to think it doesn't really work that well with the British, but that is sort of the best place to apply it. Yeah. So I'm not quite sure what to say about that. Um, it's just what I use, and I haven't really bothered switching because it's fast enough for me. Or rather, yeah. learning something else isn't going to automatically make me faster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's kind of like you're locked into it now. Like yeah, I'm learned, I'm trying to learn OLL so I can choose whichever is better, and I think it's actually really yeah. nice for that. Lots of edges oriented, just go straight. Like if all the edges are oriented, you just place the edge and go into CLS, and it's really fast. Yeah. As opposed to doing the full edge oriented OLLs. Um, and if there's like four edges flipped, okay, try to flip some and get OLL, or leave them all four edges flipped, and then there's this really cool way that if you insert the edge, you can get the corner controlled completely. And so oh, okay. they sort of overlap in their ability to deal with <laughs> annoying cases, uh, yeah. which is probably the sweet spot for it, but no one's quite used it that way. I, I imagine it's really disconcerting to skip last slot. Um, it's the same thing as an OLL skip. Really? Like, because you like, it's kind of like you have to two-look OLL, but that, I know that's not how you're going about doing well, it. Okay, actually, like, I should you're doing, say that. You're doing ELS than CLS. But like, so, how do you skip a last slot? It's kind of difficult to skip a last slot unless you accidentally insert a pair in the back while you're solving, like, the front. Oh, right, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Um, so it's just, in fact, the straightforward thing is you just do ELS and CLS. In this case, you just happen to solve OLL in two steps unless you know the OLL directly. I know most of them now. Yeah. Um, but it's it's weird in the sense that a bunch of weird things can happen in... For example, you might end up with all the top oriented, but the middle edge, instead of being on the middle layer, is on the top. Like, yeah. everything that's oriented except the middle and maybe the corner are there, and they're not necessarily much better cases. They just happen to show up sometimes, and they're easy to recognize. Yeah. So it's a bit funky, but it just happens so to be... So you'd have to like learn those specific it. cases. Yeah. Like, There's this fun thing where um, if the edge is on the top layer and the corner is facing up and all the rest of the top is oriented... Uh, so you're inserting the corner and the edge while preserving the orientation of the other pieces. There's exactly there's exactly four cases where the edge is on top and then one where it's in the middle layer. Um, so out of those five, four have really great algs and one is terrible. <laughs> is it like, are the algs like have R2s in them? 
like, no, just so for example, um, there's like R U R U two R prime U prime R U prime R prime. Uh, so that's an R two. That ends with an R two. Um, there's a variant on the common one, where's the R two U two one. You know, to insert the corner and the edge when they're both when the corner is facing up, and they're adjacent. Uh, the annoying case usually starts with R two U two R prime. No, I do not know. Or at uh, least I can't picture it right now. Uh, well, if anybody's following along, it goes with R2, U2, R prime, U prime, R, U prime, R2. Turns out, if it start, instead of starting with an R2, you start with R, U, R, and then U2 and go on, uh, the rest of the top layer stays oriented, which is kind of cute. Oh, so it's like you're throwing in an extra move to get that, mm-hmm. or an extra two moves. Uh, just, well, yeah, in the middle of an R2, you, uh, they throw in an extra U. Yeah. Uh, a bunch of fun things like that you come across when you when you poke around with oriented last slot stuff, which I do. Yeah. Uh I oh, I wanted to ask you. Um you know you said it's uh two gen. Mm-hmm. Uh like it's you can do CLLs completely two gen. But surely there are some cases that you can solve better, like if you use more gen. Like um, there they, must be some. There must be some. Uh, it turns out, actually, not that many. I've moved more towards 2-gen. Uh, yeah. I have some funky ones. Like, there's one that used to go, the optimal alg, when I first found it, was something like um, R, B2, D2, F2, U2, L prime, F2, D2, B2. Like, <laughs> like actually, it was the optimal alg. And now I have some, like, R2, U2, R2 prime, U prime, R, U, R, U prime, R prime, U prime. No, there was an extra U prime. Uh, yeah, of course. Cause R2, like- U2, R prime, yeah, something like that. Uh, so it's not quite Kugen, what I call it. I'll swing that in a moment. Um, but there are surprisingly few algs that are much better with 3-gen or 4-gen. Um, yeah. I can name some. Um, but it's kind uh, of nice to have 2-gen, and that's actually why I like it. Yeah, because 2-gen is, like, reliable to do. Like, if you're doing bigger generators, you have a higher chance of, like, locking up or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one t- really terrible uh, one. Um, that involves LUR. LUR sounds nice, but the regripping when L and R are going different directions is just really annoying. Yeah, um, it's terrible. Like, yeah. You can tell when you do like a Nicholas compared to doing a soon. Like it's yeah. just awkward. Nicholas is just about okay. This particular one, uh is it find a shout out Alex in case people have cubes to follow along? <laughs> I guess. There's there's one really annoying that one that goes R U two R prime U prime and then you just Throw in an L, and then R U R prime, and then you do U L prime. You sort of bring it back. So there's a, there's an L U prime L prime that's sort of sort of split up in the middle of a bunch of two gen on the right, and it's just kind of annoying. Yeah, the regrip on that is a little weird. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that's one of those that I don't actually have a better alg for. Um, it doesn't seem that bad. It doesn't, but compared to all the other ones, it's annoying. I haven't found anything better. But <laughs> I guess all the others are like two gen. Yeah. Uh, so the nice thing is actually it's what I call ku gen from the the BLD system that uh, Berkeley uses to call, which is if you call the right trigger, the R U R prime K, just give it the name K, and then you have K, and then you have an inverse trigger is K prime, and there's K two, and so all of MJLS can be done ku gen, which is combinations of right triggers and U turns. And that's convenient because then you don't have to move around your thumb and back fingers. You can just sort of spam the right-hand side. 
<laughs> and almost everything can be solved in 11 or 13 or 15 moves. Uh, some of the 15 movers are annoying. You don't quite want to use them, but a lot of them can be solved in 11. And oh, so there's so hardly there's any regripping as well. Precisely. It's lovely. It's <laughs> quite <laughs> Um A really fun one, in case anyone is there, is uh, K prime uh, U K2 U prime K. Uh, it keeps the orientation of everything, and then it's an alternative to the R prime F R F prime times 3. Uh, switch yeah, around yeah, the corner. Yeah. Surely the other one's better, though. Um, not in practice, I find, because you have to regrip. And if you know for MGLS that you're always going to hold the cube in standard 2 gen grip, you don't have to think about it, and you don't have to oh, yeah, yeah, just for yeah. it as you go there. Um, I guess you could use it for because um, it affects uh, corner, corner permutation differently. Uh, yeah, corner control is different. So I guess if you're that crazy, you want to do it that way. Um, I'm not quite there yet. Uh, I okay. do another one. So, um, I guess that's, uh, that we can move on to the WCA yeah. and uh, the whole thing of that. So, Lucas, you're one of the four members of the WRC, which yeah, is the five. world... Uh, five now? Yeah. Uh, Sarah Strong. Vincent and I are heads. Uh, Sarah Strong, uh, Shelly Chang, and Tim Habermas joined recently to help the process. Okay, so the WRC stands for the the WCA Regulations, Regulations Committee. Yep. And uh, can you tell us about how that got formed and? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, that started in two thousand. Uh, well, 11. a year ago. Um, well, two years ago actually, it must have been because we spent all of last year trying to figure out stuff. And it happened because the regulations didn't get updated after two thousand ten. Uh, Ron and Tyson had been around for a while, and they were still running things. And the way regulations were done was Ron took input from people, and he sometimes got literal phrasing to put in, and sometimes decided how he wanted to put it in. And he just updated the regulations uh, roughly once a year, but occasionally with smaller updates. And that wasn't really sustainable because he had so many things to do, and it was sort of up to one person to try to make this all work. And with a really large community, you start having to deal with a lot of interest. And one person is just going to end up biased, not necessarily in how the regulations are written, but in what's in there and what's missing and what's structured, rather than the specific things that say what are and aren't allowed. So I poked Tyson about this thing. So can we like start the regulations process early this time or figure out something? And, and he said, okay, well, you want to do it? <laughs> he sort of just asked that, and I said, well, I don't really have time, but I'll help. And I got, um, I started the process, and uh, I asked Vincent Shu, actually, who was head of the Berkeley Q Club at the time, I think. I asked him if he would prepare uh, something, a proposal for introducing team blindfolders as an official event because I think it's the most interesting thing to add. Uh, we can talk about Skew a bit later, but um, it's sort of novel, but I think actually, I think we could actually find a way to put it in uh, to the database, first of all, that's, that's one tricky part, and into competitions, despite a few logistical details, like all the things going on at once and still having to control that, they're, that they aren't cheating in some way. Anyhow, uh, he worked on that, but then ended up joining the committee and we had him be in charge technically. And then I ended up sort of joining him back again as co-chair. And uh, we brought on Shelley and uh, Sebastian Aru. 
And um, it took us a while to get out the regulations because there was just a lot to do. So we spent most of 2012 doing it. Um, and we had discussions on the forum and whatnot, which hopefully people remember, some of which were more heated than others. <laughs> and in the end, what it really comes down to is someone has to bother to go through the regulations, address all the things that need to be addressed, and just, like, do something. A lot of people will give, like, half proposals that sort of suggest some phrasing change, but they're not quite complete enough to put them in the regulations. And the trick is really putting it in such that it makes sense. Um, first of all, it has to be clear. Um, yeah, no double meanings or things like that. Uh, especially because, yeah, so double meanings are really tricky, and there's still some in there we haven't gotten out, but it's especially important because this is an international document. We have some translations, but they're not official. So we need this to be as clear as possible to competitors and delegates whose first language isn't English. So we need this to be unambiguous, given that you hopefully know the words that we're using or the dictionary makes it really clear. And a lot of people don't think about that. Um, they suggest things with idioms um, that just aren't usable. Um, anyhow, uh, I ended up doing a gigantic revision of this with the help from a friend from college, uh, Sarah Guan, uh, who is in publishing now. And so she knows how to mark up stuff. And she went through ruthlessly and helped me clean up lots and lots of this kinds of phrasing where it's not necessarily bad, but like Ron is Dutch. So he has a slightly different way of phrasing things. And he was trying to use UK English and he had a lot of suggestions from other people. So it wasn't bad. And he did an admirable job keeping it up himself. It just ended up inconsistent over the years. And so we cleaned up a lot of things, took out things that ended up redundant because of the changes over the years that just you know, like we don't need this rule anymore. Um, and simplified things as much as possible without actually changing the structure too much. And that was really the big thing in 2012. Um, then there were a few discussions about what things to do and not to do, and in the end, just submitting it to the board and and getting it out. Uh, the unfortunate thing is the announcement, because of miscoordination, didn't come with a list of changes, uh, a list of important changes. Uh, we just sort of said lots of things changed, which they did. <laughs> Deal with it. <laughs> um, we, we've tried to get a little bit better about that. Um, we have now a bit of a process. and um, So with that process, let's say, let's take the magic as an example. Um, I want to, there's magic in the events list and someone proposed, hey, let's remove magic. So what's the process like So that was that? an unconventional thing. It's still worth explaining, but this is not how it should usually go at all. Uh, it was... Basically Tyson, but technically the board said, uh, we're going to get rid of magic. Just because they had, they had seen a lot of stuff goes really funky with magic. Uh, it's really hard to judge properly uh, and to keep a consistent international standards. Um, and the board has to deal with all sorts of weird cases and questionable results and things like that. And they sort of came to the conclusion that they announced, like, Basically, we shouldn't really have magic because it's not really an interesting puzzle to solve. We just happen to have it because it's a Rubik's event and it's always been there. A lot of these things that we've been doing are really based on the 1982 World Championship. That's why we have 15-second inspection, actually, I think. They just reused that and they reused it in the 2003 World Championship. And a lot of things that were arbitrarily decided then, such as that feet is an event, um, <laughs> have just stayed around because... Uh, there hasn't been enough momentum to change it, and people have gotten used to it. And so this is a, where the board just decided to make an explicit break, and they announced that they wanted to do this uh, halfway through 2012, 
And so we updated the regulations to get ready for it, and everybody got used to it. And it turns out that there weren't that many complaints. Um, you know, oh, some, yeah? but it was mostly like, oh, magic is gone. Um, yeah. Nobody came in, you know, with heavy arguments about how this is, like, going to ruin speed tubing or something. Um, oh, but glad, uh... a more typical, more, more typical process is really um, in practice now. Something I think that too many people know about is the delegates list. Um, there's a list, an email list with all the delegates on it, which is a lot better than before because if you emailed all the delegates, then you would get like 10 bounces every single time and you just like wouldn't be able to sift through the email thread. Uh, but there's a delegates list and the reports get sent to that for every competition. And anytime something funky comes up, the delegates all know about it and all discuss it. So they have a consistent base to go from. And then often there'll Often, if it actually matters, uh, there will be a bit of a conclusion like, "Oh, we should make this regulation more clear because it's like it's turned out from these competitions. This is something you need to clarify." Uh, and usually, what happens then is if you go to the regulations and click on the source thing, which is the bunch of numbers, um, then uh, you'll get a link to the GitHub page where we maintain the regulations, and we'll make what's called an issue for it, and we'll track it, and. Occasionally, they'll be urgent enough that we make an update to the regulations, but usually we just keep it around and address it just about now at the end of the year and then say, what has been the discussion on this? What's the community said? What do delegates say? What do organizers say? And sometimes it's uncontroversial, like we'll just clarify this thing in the guidelines. And sometimes we'll have we'll discuss it with either the board or if it's really important, put it out to the community and then just make the updates because someone just needs to bother to do it. So it varies. it varies very much per topic. Uh, but the central thing is the regulations are maintained on a repository on GitHub, and everything that matters is recorded there, and then somebody will attend to it. Um, Very nice. I can talk about more details about specific things, like plus two is a fun one. But oh, we'll get on to that, yeah, yeah. after. Uh, <laughs> I had uh, this point controversial topics. Uh, oh, we already kind of covered magic. It wasn't very controversial. It's, not many. Yeah, I was a little bit against it because it's a nice, simple puzzle, and it was one of those things that I did early on, and it's easy to get someone introduced to speed gaming with it. And I was like, why not? I'm I'm just going to hold magic every competition I can, and I did. <laughs> and uh, in the end, it sort of makes sense because it's not really a puzzle. It makes sense to take it out. And I yeah, think the way I think about it is that if someone suggested adding magic, no one had listened to him at all. Like. Yes, there are a lot of no, things no that one would are like that, actually. Um, given the current state of how it is, and if it were missing, changing might be really difficult, but if you think about it, there's a lot of things where the current thing we're doing doesn't make sense compared to some other way to do it. Uh, in fact, I would argue inspection time actually really doesn't make sense. That said, the change is just way too difficult to try to convince anyone about and to get it used to. Like, I don't know how I would cube if I dealt with that inspection. And the more subtle ones are even weirder to discuss because people have more subtle um, opinions. Yeah. Um, and magic was one of those. But we got through it. <laughs> Mostly because the board wanted. Yeah. But I guess the hot button topic nowadays in the last year or two is the uh, puzzle Skube. Skube. Everyone knows that I hate the crap out of Skube. Um, Tom loves Skube. What about you, Lucas? I don't know about me. Uh, well, Ron actually said on the forum a while ago, uh, if eight competitions in 2012 host Skube, he'll consider it as an event. 
So I held Scoob at the Stanford competitions whenever I could. And we held Scoob. Yeah. Uh, and it's gotten more popular. Um, there were at least eight. There were definitely at least eight. I counted at some point. Um, so I'm in favor because it's an interesting puzzle. It's nice and small and it's a bit different and yada, yada, yada. We can um, use, reuse regulations and stuff for it. It fits in pretty well with existing regulations. It's not like an unconventional puzzle. Yeah. Um, anyhow, like... What's the current stance, the current I guess, stance within the... This is probably happening, I would say. Um, it's not official, um, and, like, um, we need to sort of make sure that the regulations are updated in a sensible way, and the board needs to agree with whatever the WRC says. Um, that said, there's clearly enough support, and we're sort of moving forwards on it. The biggest problem is we need an official scrambler for it. Um, like, uh, T-Noodle has scramblers for all sorts of other puzzles, and there's one written uh, by Chen Shuang, who is a really cool Chinese coder. It just yeah. hasn't been integrated, and it can't be an official event unless the scrambler is integrated. And we were hoping to find somebody independent to do it, uh, but we don't have yet. So that's sort of the biggest blocker. We need an we need an official scrambling program. So if anybody wants to volunteer, we'll love to take someone. Uh, you can't. Uh, you can't ask for help on the show. No. <laughs> Sh- Sh- not surely that's not that big of a hurdle, though. Like hopefully not. Uh, so it's just the case of someone doing it. Uh, Jeremy will probably do it, it if we need to. Sounds like an eventuality. It sucks. There's no guarantee, um, but. People are generally either in favor or not against, um, at least as far as anybody who needs to be involved in the process of actually putting it out. So hopefully this, those people who like Skew will have something to look forward to, but we'll have to see on January 1st whether we manage to get everything there in time. Uh, it's a month left. You're saying for if it needs if it's going to be in 2014, it's a, a little bit over a month left to do everything. Yeah, are you trying to discourage us here because of Skew? <laughs> I'm saying a, a month is not a lot of time, perhaps, to... <laughs> um, are you doubting so, us? Let's just say I'm in favor of it uh, Sounds not like happening. So what yeah. What do you think is the big problem with Skew? I don't know. When I first held it, and I... I guess... My biggest complaint is that it looks like a cube, but it doesn't turn. When it turns, it I don't I just don't like the way it turns. Okay. There's no there's no logical so reason to from, it. If I'm having purple stickers because you don't like purple. It's it's kind of like the same reasoning. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sounds very silly, but it's um yeah. Okay, so let's move on to uh plus two misalignment penalty and other little penalties that there are in the regulations. Uh, plus two is a big one. Um, so this is something that's, I think, not public, but I think isn't like top secret, so I can totally discuss it, um, which is uh, the WRC put a proposal for to the board about removing plus two and disallowing puzzle defects at the end of the solve completely. Um, this is a very, very controversial topic, and I have like a detailed and a detailed sort of draft, like this is the reasons we'd announce in favor if we if we decided to make this decision. And um, it sort of comes down to sort of what Tom said, which would be objectively better. Um, plus two really only exists because people are used to it. And it does because people didn't have good... I think the main reason is really people didn't have to uh, used to have good cubes. So... You needed to be lenient because the cube would sometimes 
like do something that the competitor wasn't truly in control of if they had any sort of decent speed cube. Because if they dropped it, then it would misalign or the center cap would pop off because the only thing you had were Rubik's DIYs, but you had to hold in the center cap using a piece of paper. You remember those? Yeah. <laughs> um, it's kind of yes. the same thing as the pops getting removed. And I in guess. fact, we yes, pops used to happen because people like fast speed cubes were always at risk of popping. There was just no other good way to get a speed cube. So we allowed them for some leniency, but then we recognized it's sort of not really fair and reasonable. People can cheat a game it too easily. Yeah. Uh, and that's because there was explicit gaming. And the same thing is true of plus two and things like, well, puzzle defects at the end of the solve, the big one being any center caps missing. People are used to it because we used to be lenient about it and haven't really adjusted to being more careful with their stopping. Um, so I think the general... Th- general consensus on the WRC and board. WRC especially is sort of like, eventually we should get rid of these. Uh, the board is a little bit more split. Um, the question is sort of how do we get ready for that? Um, well, if plus two is moved, what's I guess what replaces it? Is it just a flat out DNF? Solved, or? So the the motivation behind these is the solved or not policy. You, 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 solve the, you do something to the cube, you place it down, you stop the timer, and you look at the cube. Is it solved or is it not? If it's solved, then yeah. you get the time that was written there. Apart from you know non-time, non-time penalties like logistical things, like you took too long during inspection, or if it's misaligned or whatever, it's simply not solved. And so the alignment penalties used to be 30 degrees. Do you remember that for yeah. a cube? Yes. And yeah. that was tricky. Well, actually, it wasn't technically 30 degrees. It was whenever one, like if you look at the cube. Yeah, so there's edges between them and whenever those pass. Uh, so 45 degrees has this natural thing where there's a split and anything to the left is one position, anything to the right is another position. So basically, if the cube is closer to a solved position than a not solved position, it's solved. And the same thing applies naturally to other puzzles. And this just sort of makes sense. We can apply it to lots of puzzles. It's consistent. It's easy to remember. And it doesn't like have a lot of fuss the way that plus two always causes. Um, just make it black and white is that? Yeah. What we're and the only reason people are against it really is because they're used to having that leniency. Um, there are arguments that this is, you know, out of the fact that we need to time things in practice, and occasionally people get, you know, drop it. Like QQ argues, it's a fault of the uh, process that if you drop your cube and misalign it, you get a plus two. Um, but that doesn't really happen. It usually happens when people stop the timer too fast rather than they truly got unlucky. And Dean likes to argue in that case it was the competitor's fault for deciding to use that cube. And this goes back to the cubes back in the day. Didn't You didn't have much of a choice. But nowadays you can buy a good cube that's inexpensive that you can control. You have control over this. Um, so in the end, the board voted against making that change this year. Um, so we might make some subset of those. Um, but mostly we, the, this vote was because the community sort of has this controversial <laughs> split yeah, on the, this. I mean, the, key, and the community is against removing it. Some very vocal members are. A lot of it really isn't. Um, so it's hard to have a good discussion, and most of the points had been put forth. So we were like, we will put this to the board. They will decide, and if we do it, then we do it. If we don't, we don't. And you don't waste everyone's time discussing something like this when there are other important changes that we could all be spending time on. Yeah. So that's what happened. So it won't happen this year. Uh, we'll see what happens in the future, whether we get ready for it. But um, it's sort of moving there. You know, 
no guarantees either way. All right. Well, look forward to that in about a month, and we'll see about Skew. Um, so we, there's a bullet point here, stickerless cubes and uh, what puzzles that are allowed in competitions. I remember that uh, when they first came out, the stickerless plastic, no, colored plastic puzzles were banned because uh, that you can you can see the what pot what the mm-hmm. piece was but on the other side of the cube. Blind. Yeah. Yeah. So, so using in blind was actually not allowed. That was a mistake. And the fact that the world yeah. said with it was sort of everybody in the U.S. was like, wait a second. And Tyson was kind of upset about it. <laughs> uh, that was never supposed to happen. And uh, part of the reason for the delegate list that I mentioned is, in fact, so that these things become more consistent really quickly in case future stuff. Um, so stickerless cubes in particular, there's one reason I usually give to people for why stickerless cubes should not be allowed, which is you take a stickerless cube, you place it on the table, you look at it from straight on top, and you turn the top by 45 degrees. And you can see all the middle layer edges, um, which you just usually can't. Um, so are you imagining in your head like this, the two sides of the edge are completely visible as triangles when you turn it? Yes. So um, that's not, not everyone's going to be solving their cube like this, but you could imagine somebody, you know, looking from the top and solving F2L kind of like this. And I feel like when I'm solving it, I unconsciously get to see the sides like that and have a bit of an advantage from that. Um, it's not. But is that practical? So the question is, is it practical? I think it's impossible to test because you can't do like, you know, scientific blind or double blind yeah. experiment where you don't know what you're doing. You very clearly see which one you're doing and you have opinions and biases for that and have experience yeah. with one or another. So I think it is impossible to test. However, first of all, we need to draw the line somewhere. And second, this is significantly farther than sort of the obvious things that we've allowed. So once you allow this, you start having to deal with lots of very tricky issues. Um, like what weird can th- other things can you do in the puzzle where you can see around cubies that you didn't used to be able to. Um, so part of it is just, if we're going to make a rule, this needs to be the case so just we can have reasonable ways to deal with these changes and other similar changes in the future. Another one is, personally, and that opinion is shared by a lot of people and the reason that we made the decision, um, it's just, it is too far because you can see too much compared to the original intent of the puzzle. Um, it is basically an easy way to get an advantage, uh, however much you use it or not. So that's stickerless cubes. <laughs> So it's kind of like the same reason why uh, clear plastic is banned, too. Yeah, clear plastic is because theoretically you could see through, and um, yeah. it's it's just a little bit tricky. The main point really is you shouldn't be able to get an advantage over somebody who is using a regular cube. Um, not one that's like, you know, you can loop the cubes. There's some very clearly explicitly allowed things like that, uh, but any unfair advantage that someone would have to, like, use a different cube for to get... Um, use a specific trick to get or something. Yeah. Like yeah. our different stickers. Well, does does the ever, argument ever come up where, like, you can't... That there should be one single model cube that should be used in all competitions? Like, everyone's got to use Rubik's Cube, um, you know, 2.0. Or... I can't see how you could enforce that. And so why it'd be a good I idea. sort of mentioned that. I don't know if he necessarily wants public, but the, a general idea of we could, it is not completely infeasible that we could approve certain cubes uh, because there are a lot of providers now 
and we would somehow have to do something very carefully about making sure we approve cubes properly. Um, but it isn't completely infeasible if you think about it, because a lot of sports do something like this. Yeah, like in NASCAR, everyone uses the same car, or you know, you're not allowed to use certain types of things, or yeah, uh, on certain sports. So, like obviously, uh, Diane Guhang is much and worlds better than a Walmart cube. So, Tyson yeah. right mentioned now, it. Is there any traction in that idea? Um, it it was sort of just an idea. Um, uh, there's. Basically, something like this isn't going to happen soon. Uh, part of the problem is lots of lots of puzzles are coming out constantly, and it's just hard to keep up with them. And putting it in the regulations or even guidelines officially is tricky, because people will come up with slight variants. They'll sand down their cube. They'll have the edges slightly different. They'll have something. It's just impossible to control. Um, one place where this comes up is a multi-BLD, where you can tell about cubes by size or by feel, or like by the green side is looser. Uh, <laughs> it is just. Once you start having to deal with it com- concretely, it gets very tricky, and it's not really worth the time. So right now, the de facto is delegates all have a sen- reasonable, sensible standards. Most competitors are familiar with the standards. And anything weird, like when the Diane Megamixes came out with the ridges, the board just made a decision, and that was like, this is what we're saying happens for this weird case. And it sort of works. Um, people disagree about sticker lists, but I've, I gave the reasons that we have what we have. Oh, what was the decision about the ridges on the Megabanks? Uh, there was an announcement in the WCA forum uh, by the board, I forgot by whom, that they are allowed. That was just an explicit decision, uh, as long as they aren't colored plastic. Okay. I don't see how you could ever actually have an approved list, like, for the reasons you gave. Like, I don't see how that could ever be a thing. With oh, well, so it very easily could be. You could just have a list. So yeah, I know, YouTube, but... You can't use it until it's approved. I don't think it's a great idea right now. I'm just saying it, it could be done. Yeah, but surely that presents a problem. Like, a new cube comes out, everyone wants to use it, and well, they just the can't. WCA is really fast about updating that particular list. You know? Okay, I guess. You have to make an exception for that list, yeah. And if, I mean, it's a bit tricky because there's the question of how much is something a knockoff, but if this is a sort of established yeah. thing and they're, comp- they're producing them to compete, it could just be like, you want a cube to be WCA official, send one to the WRC team, Sending one prototype is hopefully not too much to ask, and then we say, okay, well, this is fine. It's, you know, I'm yeah, not particularly advocating for it, but it is an idea. Um, Does it really, like, resolve enough things to merit actually doing it? Not necessarily, because the issue is whenever somebody comes up with something unexpected, and you can't control what people actually bring in. You can control what, what they based it on, but mods and things like that can easily vary. And one thing that Vincent is sort of concerned about is, um, like, the internal structure of cubes can be significant um, in determining the feel of the cube and in being able to tell apart things. Like, if the corners are asymmetric because of the way that they were injection molded, you could just feel and tell that something is oriented in a certain way. Yeah. And modding can only make it worse. So, you're right, it's kind of impossible to control. <laughs> so it's a de facto it's pretty reasonable right now any special exceptions talk to the board yeah okay so before we go on to I guess the future of the WRC and what kind of regulations we're to look forward to um, we already mentioned a few of them already but a uh, 15 second inspection oh let's just hit on that real quick um, yeah I've mentioned that you mentioned 
Yeah, that it was like uh, adopted from the 1982 World Championship, and uh, that kind of it's kind of weird that we keep it around. What's your argument about that? Yeah, well, the usual one is weird to keep it around because like two by two is you you look at the puzzle for 15 seconds, you solve it in one second. It just doesn't make <laughs> sense. And naturally, yeah. like this is one of those things that people sometimes get confused about if they don't know much about cubing. And arguably, you don't shouldn't listen to, to them too much. But it kind of makes sense. Like, why are you letting people look at the cube ahead of when they start? It's just, it's not solving the puzzle. You should, you should start the timer, start solving the puzzle. Uh, I think that's more natural. If we did the regulations from scratch, I think it absolutely makes sense. I think we wouldn't be ready for that change for a long while, and I don't think anybody's really in favor of it yet. Ron is, no. but yeah, um, he's like the only person. Have you seen the poll I made? Like, uh, yeah, it's like two hundred people against five. But. I think is it's it really mostly like that, that everyone is biased or used to it, and yeah, if they're not course. biased, then they just, they're just don't see enough reason for change, and I'm on that. Like, it is sort of well, unfortunate, does that also, but... Does that also mean if the change goes through that the world records list has to be wiped, or does it mean you... need to be wiped automatically, but that is a sort of an issue uh, dealing with how much people care about those things. Um, the, the main concern We're is... We're talking about internet nerds here, so, yeah. Yeah, the main it's, concern with a change like that is if it's very sudden, then the records might be incomparable. And if it's not sudden, then a gradual change is kind of painful. Like, you know, remove a second every year or change to four yeah. seconds one year and then go. Um, the, the problem I have with it is that I see inspection and no inspection as they're like two separate events. Like, yeah. Um, but which do you think is more natural? Excluding um, the fact that we've been doing one of them. Uh, no inspection have been more natural. Yeah, well, I think. You know, the inspection is the standard. That's just how it is. Like, you can introduce... I guess you could introduce no inspection and try and phase out inspection. I mean, so but that's, we his, did multi that's his exact like argument. That, yeah. Right? We changed the times yeah. allowed for multi. Of course, the times are much longer, so it doesn't affect things as much intrinsically. Yeah. But I think, but you know, 3 by 3 is slightly more... I don't want to say important, but important. Oh, it is more important. It's, it's the, the winner of a competition is the 3 by 3 winner, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It would be cha like changing the 100-meter dash so that, like, you know, your time starts when you run through the start gate as opposed to with the bullet. Yeah, fire yeah. Or Good analogy. Well, um, so it's pretty much in favor uh, or against the change so far. Yeah. yeah. I don't think anybody needs to worry about it if they care. Yeah, but I okay. think, like you say, though, um, I guess it's mostly due to bias. Mm -hmm. And that's my favorite example for showing like how much we have of a bias. It seems like such a terrible change, but I hope a reasonable person would come to the conclusion that we're doing the less sensible event at the moment. Yeah. Well, I don't. <laughs> I'm happy for us just to be biased and just continue doing this broken format. Cause right. I prefer it. It's also a good example of how sometimes just doing what we're doing is probably the sensible thing for now, for yeah. a long while even. All right. So I guess um, 2014, uh, can we expect any changes? Have there been any changes that have been decided that are worth mentioning? Um, so it's not like we're top secret in our laboratory coming up with potential changes and we're like, <laughs> should we change 8C? Actually, 8C doesn't <laughs> exist anymore. <laughs> but, um, some of them are discussed in the delegate list and not as open, but uh, we like, the idea is hopefully no one should be surprised about any changes. They should all be based on things that need clarification based on what happened. 
And like I mentioned, if you go to the regulations and um, click on, what does it currently say? Uh, look under, if you look under the version which says May 21st, there's something that says official, colon, and then a bunch of numbers and digits. The numbers and digits is the exact version, but if you click on the first one, you get to the GitHub repository where we store things, and there's a thing that says issues on the side. So, uh, if you click on the actual number, you'll get to the actual changes, um, like the one, the latest one was the one that changed the date to May 21st, and before that was some formatting fixes and then fixed links, and then the one that really batted, simplifying 5v5 examples. Like, everything is completely documented, and uh, as I was mentioning, issues keep track of everything that'll change. So hopefully, even if you haven't been tracking these, nothing should come as a big surprise. But if you're ever curious or care about something happening or not, you can always check what is in the issues. If it's there, it will be addressed, or at least we'll decide that it's not worth addressing currently, and then happen accordingly. So since plus two isn't happening, I don't think we're doing anything controversial. It's mostly a whole bunch of cleanup. Um, I think my biggest question right now that's open is, are the guidelines worth keeping as a separate document? Um, how do you guys feel about that? Oh, which guidelines? So the regulations and guidelines right now are two documents, one of which is the regulations is everything that's what we call normative, or at least I call it normative. Like everything that is a must, you must do this, you must not do this, this is what happens when you start something. And the guidelines are all the things that don't have to happen, but that are useful to know. Um, yeah, I mean, surely um, delegates should read both. Like, wouldn't it be worth making it as like a, um, I don't want to say appendix, what's the right word to the actual it's regulations? It's kind of like an FAQ, actually. Yeah. Okay. Um, I don't know. Like, you know, it's obviously a good thing in case something comes up and they can consult it, for example. Well, I've not but specifically kind of read the, the guidelines list for that now, right? Yeah, I know, but that doesn't really work when you're in a competition. Yes. <laughs> uh, the idea was that the guidelines could get updated more often. Uh, it hasn't quite been the need because the delegate list like gets sort of small details, yeah, and the bigger ones can get changed every year, and people don't actually complain much about things. The delegate list has really helped for this. So the guidelines are kind of like superfluous. Uh, do you think they're superfluous at all? Or I've I've not read them. Okay. <laughs> Really the idea is you don't actually need to read them, so let's take them out of the regulations. Yeah. Um, I meant to, uh, I, I still mean to make a thread about this on speed solving to see what people think. Um, it's convenient to have somewhere where you can put things that are not actually critical, but good in case anybody wants to know what the official thing is. Like, it's a lot of what is the interpretation in this funny case, which yeah, people always ask questions about. Um, but you can possibly like merge them back in. It just makes the document longer. Yeah, so, surely that's just bloat that you don't need. That was the idea. I don't know if it's worked. And uh, Andrew, you don't have much of an opinion? Uh, for me, I just read it all once before I host a competition, and that's the end of that. Okay. So, like, if it's a 10-minute commitment to read it or a 20-minute commitment, it doesn't really matter to me, since I'm pretty much going to read it anyway. Uh, it's more than 10 minutes if you go in detail. Yeah, I'm just you know I'm already familiar with it, so I'm just gonna you know skim it, skim skim through it. Yeah, it's always good. A lot of people like just don't notice new changes or even like no basic stuff because they haven't skimmed it recently. Uh, yeah, but yeah. yeah, there aren't any big changes. That's sort of the biggest thing that I think I'm concerned about. Um, lots of random things. Oh, here's a fun one. Uh, what do you think about changing DNS to DQ? 
the reasoning being uh, did not finish is sometimes confusing to people, and they like confuse it with DNS, like a lot of new judges. And yeah. a DNS is given for a lot of place, times when you perhaps did finish the cube, but did something wrong, like kept touching it, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So it's really more of a disqualification. What do you think about actually calling it a DQ? So I think that's a good clarification. It doesn't really matter. Like It's not a big issue. I guess it's more of a like a description issue. I mean, a DQ, if abbreviation for DQ and DNF, DQ is a lot more, uh, I guess, people know what that is. Um, that was also part of my reasoning. Uh, DNF is used for races, but DQ is more well-known. Yeah. And it's clear. Yeah. It's yeah. almost disqualified. Everyone's on board with that. Oh, it doesn't count. But DNF is like, eh. And it makes the difference between DNF and DNS more clear. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was my reasoning. The only problem is DNF averages. No longer don't... Like, you can't have DQ averages because they're not actually disqualified if you have just two DNFs in there. You still have three counting times. Yeah. So I'm not quite sure what we would do about those. If not, I think we might actually go ahead and make the change. We just need to figure out what to do with those averages. Would you retroactively make the change? Uh, we would just change all the things that say DNF in the results to DQ. This isn't something yeah. I've discussed that I've discussed widely. It's just a thing that I've thought about. Yeah. Um, but it's one of those things that's listed in the issues, and if you look at them on GitHub, you might notice a bunch of other fun gems we're discussing. <laughs> okay. Um, All right. Oh, I have a question. Um, I want to get your opinion. You know um, Chris Olson's 2x2 two two world record? Oh, the uh, Yeah, yeah. What do you think about that? How it should have been decided? Oh, um, do you think the correct decision was made? So, so uh, before you get, oh, before we get, uh, I guess explain for the listeners who don't know the situation what happened with the crystals and single. Um, uh, so yeah, Tom could probably explain it better. Uh, yeah, basically, um, in his world record average five video, um. On one of the solves, his inspection time went over, but that was due to the fault of the judge not um, calling out 8 and 12 seconds because he was distracted. So it was like an uninten he unintentionally gained uh, unfair advantage, if only a slight one. And the board decided to count the solve as a... Oh, yeah, yeah. With the they, standing time. They, they decided that, um, you know, he wasn't trying to gain an unfair advantage... And it'd be unfair to disqualify his time. I yeah. think. Um, uh, what's your stance on that? My stance. I'm being asked for my official stances here. <laughs> yeah. Everything. Every single word you say on the show is gonna be nitpicked and uh, grilled. Grilled. grilled yeah. Oh. Okay. Well, math is awesome. No nitpicking on that. <laughs> Crypto also. I'm doing a lot of cryptography recently. Anyhow, as far as this. Um, I think the board step actually really makes sense. If this weren't a world record average, I think the decision would probably be like that. And world record averages sure matter more, but he clearly wasn't trying to cheat. Um, oh, no. So well, it wasn't his I, fault. I, and sticking to the regulations here is just sort of unfair against him for no especially good reason. Yeah. Um, so is there is there a regulation where if the judge makes a mistake that something happens and the solve because of the judge. That's a very good question, and actually not necessarily a bad idea. You could propose that. Um, there are a lot of things that aren't explicitly in the regulations because it doesn't make sense to just detail everything way we yeah. would think about something. Uh, but this has been sort of the policy like that I've seen consistently, which is just sort of 
you know, the, the, the mission of the WCA that board like, Ron likes to use is, you know, more competitions with, in more places for more people with more fun. Um, yeah. You know, be fair and nice unless you have a reason not to. And generally, if it's the judge's fault, it isn't the competitor's fault. So unless the competitor really had an unfair advantage or something went really bad, um, it isn't their fault. And the regulations are consistently sort of in favor of that. Like if the timer wasn't reset, sure, the competitor had was allowed to reset it before they started the solve. Um, but if they start the timer without having it reset and therefore, you know, can't do the solve, they get an extra one because it was actually, actually the judge's fault. So there's an explicit, no explicit regulation, but it's sort of yeah, the way kind of fall under the umbrella regulation of it's the it's up to the uh, person in charge of the competition. Yeah, that's that's an interesting change we introduced in 2013. The delegate is technically in charge of everything. Yeah. Um, but, like, you know, really? He should have just been given an extra attempt. But so, I think that was mentioned in the post. Was it not? Yeah. Uh, that it is what should have happened, but it couldn't have been changed after the fact. Yeah. So, in fact, that is what should have happened if uh, there was another alternative. Thanks for pointing that out. I forgot to mention that. All right. Doesn't that call, like, fairness into question, though? Like, um, how I, so? I, know, I know that it's like, you know, he could easily... Like, he's worthy of getting those times and stuff, and it's not... So, is it really, like, his friend Still? who was judging or something like that? It was more complicated, but it was Brian Logan, and... Yeah. He wasn't truly getting, like, you know, like, the fact that it's already 15 seconds and that it was a little bit longer this time wasn't giving him, like, an incomparable advantage. Yeah. So, it's just because it was, like, such a tiny thing. Um... Yeah, it just happened. Um, there's a thing that should have happened instead, which is give him another solve, but there's only so much you can do about it after the fact, and the reasoning from the board seems sensible. Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't disagree that it's sensible, but I still disagree with it. Do you think you should have been disqualified? Or that, um, sorry, that solve? Yeah. I just, uh, still. Uh, Lucas, are you cubing? Yeah. A little. Okay. Sorry, I can stop. It's, it's like a faux pas. <laughs> On the show. To yeah, we don't cube on the cubing podcast, oh, guys. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, like. No, it's. I, go ahead, Tom. I've thought about it. Like, you know, I'm not unhappy with the decision. That's fine. Like, that's cool. You can get the world record. That's fine. I'll accept that. But, like, you know, I still kind of disagree with the action taken. What should it have been? <laughs> I, I, you remove I the time, know. but keep the world record? No, no, no. Of course not. Like, like, I want to say give him the penalty. But that, that's not a world record anymore, right? Yeah, exactly. No, I mean, like... Uh, right, okay. I, I I disagree with the action taken, but I'm not, like, annoyed or anything. Not, there was like, a funny thing that sort of happened before, which isn't quite as extreme, which was um, back in the day when we didn't allow video evidence of the competition itself, Edward Lin um, had a 2 by 2 solve, I think, where he got a plus 2... He signed on it, which is why I make people sign. And then his mom came over with evidence that it, that didn't actually happen that way. And because he signed on it, uh, I'm not sure who was technically the delegate, but I think it ended up my decision to keep his time that he signed. Um, yeah. It's a little bit different when it's the judge's fault, um, but sort of that was the result at the time. Um, yeah. And sometimes you have to make slightly weird decisions and not everyone will agree with them. Yeah, uh, yeah. The nice thing is that in that case, he ended up getting like the Pyramid's World Re uh, National Record the year after, and like 
has been winning everything anyhow. <laughs> bit of a consolation. Just a bit. Yeah. Oh, I just. I'm. I'm um, not like bitter about this, by the way. I'm just like, eh, it's kind of unfair. Whatever. I'll live with it. It's not like I suddenly hate the WCA now or anything. Yeah, I think like a lot of these things we discuss in detail, but they don't quite matter so much. Like I haven't really bothered with this case because it doesn't really affect what we do, and there aren't. You can't really change the regulations to make it any better. It's just somebody. Yeah, I guess it's not really. Yeah, it, I guess it's not really something that's going to come into play unless the exact thing happens again. Mm-hmm. Okay. I had a question about uh, one of the guys who got the single world record and cheated while doing it, got banned. Uh, which one? Uh, it was this year, I think. I'm not quite sure. Oh, I... I oh, the 441. Yes. 3x3, yeah. What about it? I don't remember much about it either. Um, something about that uh, there was no evidence against it. Oh, that th- there was evidence against it, kind of. Oh, yeah? Yeah, like, he kind of self-incriminated himself by posting. Like, he got asked to give his solution, and his solution was the same as a solution that QQRF posted that matched his description that he just generated from Cube Explorer. Like, he, apparently he um, pasted the scra- he emailed the scramble to them, like, a few minutes after it was posted on speed solving. Like, oh. he was requested to give his solution. So, uh, let's say someone obviously, yeah, Lucas, someone hmm. obviously cheats like he did, but there's no evidence against him and he's not talking. Well, what what can you do about that? Um, that's sort of not the domain of the WOC, so in, like, oh, yeah? professionally, please goes give to me the your, Give yeah, me your yeah. stance on this. Um <laughs> So it's, it really depends on what's actually going on. And this is why we have a board. Um, like, the WRC exists so that the board doesn't have to deal with updating the regulations unless, you know, something comes out of an incident. Um, but it really is up to the board or the um, the disciplinary committee we have now, um, headed by Dennis Shepard, right? Uh, that? Um, um, and, like, there is sort of no general stance to have. Like, in this case, it's sort of clear that... Like, he sort of got unreasonably lucky and doesn't have a good explanation. And, um, you know, it seems a little bit unfair to hold competitors to, to higher standards of, of rigor if they're not, like, well-known. Like, nobody would question if Eric got a 4.41. But um, it is, in fact, more reasonable to be suspicious because it is unexpected. And the circumstantial evidence doesn't really happen to be in favor of what uh, the result was. It's yeah. just... Not. But it really depends if there had been something slightly different. Who knows? Alright. Well, let's uh, move on to Speedlined. Speedlined. Favorite event? Yes. Your favorite <laughs> event. But not an official one. Not What's official up one. with that? What's up with that? I wonder myself, actually. Uh, <laughs> I think in 2006, maybe it was 2007, uh, it was the first time that the regulations had a list of official events. Before then, sure, we had magic. We had Rainbow Cube or whatever, um, none of them were any more or less official than any other ones uh, because there were no official events. There weren't. Uh, so when this came around the time when the new result system uh, was created, so the old basically uploads of spreadsheets converted to HTML tables on speedcubing.com um, <laughs> were split up into the new results system and one that isn't seen much. I think it's at speedcubing.com slash results. Um, yeah. 
which has the things that are now considered unofficial. So those can theoretically be held, but they don't get held so much because we have an official list and people always demand doing those. Uh, Skube has been a notable, notable exception because people have been making an effort to hold it, partially because they want it to be official. But it's because it's only happening because of this implicit movement towards an official event. But nobody holds, you know, Rainbow Cube and Mirror Blocks stuff anymore. Yeah. Now, one quick note. If Skube becomes an official event next year, would the competitions held this year count towards that? Or uh, no, there won't be official. a clean slate. The, they have there have to be regulations for the event to be held according to regulations. I just uh, want to make sure it doesn't exist. Uh, also, oh, yeah. it's unfair for world records and whatever. Yeah, it just wouldn't because it wasn't official. Yeah. Uh, the board could make such a decision if they wanted, but I don't think they would. Um, All right. They weren't held under regulation standards. Yeah. Um, so as far as speed BLD. Um, the reason I mentioned these new events being created, um, or the, the new events list being created, is multi-blind ended up on the list and speed blind didn't. How come? How come? I don't know. Because I think I checked <laughs> once, and both of them were held about equally often. Not that often at all, but somewhat. And multi-blind was still the kind of thing where like people did two or three or four. I remember when I did five cubes once, unofficially, or four cubes, and that probably put me like in the top ten in the world. <laughs> because no one had done it <laughs> nowadays. <laughs> There's 35 out of 35? 37. 10? Oh, Something like that. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's kind of ridiculous and really awesome <laughs> in that yeah. sense of the word. Um, I think speed blind could have become just as impressive. Right now, nobody thinks a speed blind is an impressive event because there has been no development on it, and that's because it wasn't made official. And that was... I kind of want to say almost an arbitrary choice. It wasn't truly arbitrary. Um, I don't remember how many people did Speedblind before then, but the results weren't necessarily that impressive. It's just whoever got to do it. Uh, Speedblind had only had two people doing it, uh, Gare Ugelstadt and Clement Galea. And Clement, sorry, Clement Galea. I hope he's not listening. <laughs> uh, and uh, Gare Ugelstadt took quite a while for his, so it was sort of seen as a, an event that takes very long. And that was in the minds of like the board and people who had been involved with organizing things. So it sort of was disfavored for not great reasons, I think. And now it's just been sort of in that, uh, I think it was, it was a, as a kind of Monte Cristo kind of thing. Like, I don't remember the story very much, but the protagonist gets thrown in jail. And when you're in jail for a very long time, you don't have it, you don't have, a, you can't develop compared to whoever didn't. So yes. in, this, in the same way, <laughs> multi-blind just hasn't had the chance to develop, and therefore it doesn't really have strong reasons in favor of using it. No one's bothered doing it because no one does it, because instead you just do multi-blind. Uh, yeah. That said, I think they're both equally accessible to someone who does regular blind. Multi-blind, you do the same thing, but twice. Speed-blind, you do regular method, but you do a bit of speed-ups. Um, there are lots of interesting things that I could be, think could be done, but just no one is bothered. Um, yeah, I remember... I remember discussing speedblind with you one time when I was trying it, and like we were talking how quickly tracing could become, like if people were practicing it and stuff. Uh, yeah, that's exactly what I think is completely like not developed. Um, so yeah. I have on my website, along with lots of things, a speedblind guide about how I do things, and so I think it's feasible to go through an entire British solve in your head quite fast. In fact, at the time when I was doing this, the world record for three by three blind was like still around 1.30 Leon's time and two minutes fast. And I thought 
speed blind could actually become a feasible competitor method to all the regular blind methods. Of <laughs> course, that's completely changed. Yeah. Um, that said, I wouldn't be surprised if somebody eventually got used to tracing in their head, like a complete solution to a regular speed solve in like a minute or two minutes. I think a minute is possible. Oh, God. Um, it sounds scary, but you're tracing stickers pretty quickly, and when you think about it, there aren't that many moves. There's seven steps. Each of them you can sort of keep pretty much in your head, and then there's some outs. Um, but you remember them very muscle memory leave and updating things in your head can go pretty much as fast as turning if you're really used to it. Uh, problem is no one has tried to get the used to the get their brain used to it. Um, so currently the fastest speed speed line solves are all usually done by people who do Friedrich solves and they literally do the solves in their head, trace through the pieces, find out where everything is for OLL, trace through OLL, and so on. Um, and I think it's really interesting because. When you do it, you really need to practice your 3D visualization, unless you memorize like names and letters and shortcuts. But uh, I don't think anyone's going to bother that for a, with that for a while. But it's just so interesting um, to do um, that at the, all. When you do a, a speed blind solve, does it does it count the solve time and the memo time? What's yeah? Uh, well, we should have probably mentioned at the beginning what speed blind is. <laughs> um, oh, oh yeah yeah regular blindfolded the inspection time counts sweet blindfolded it doesn't so you get some time to inspect and then you just solve the cube as fast as possible without inspection you just have to start with your blindfold on um, and the cool thing is then you can get times under 10 seconds because you can basically rehearse in your head a speed solve the question is how much inspection time you get because like multi-blind the time doesn't really matter but you have to put some limit um it matters more than multi-blind, I guess. So one an hour is probably a bit much. I think the realistic thing for right now is about 20 minutes. Like, uh, people who have practiced it, like me and some other people, can probably do two minutes, 20 min uh, 10 minutes. 20 is a bit more comfortable and allows beginners to get used to it more rather than trying to adapt a regular speed solve, uh, sorry, regular blind method to it. You can actually do some interesting things with 20 minutes. So that would be my hope. Like, an official speed blind event with 20 minute inspection would be really cool. And I think it would lead to a lot of people trying interesting things and getting used to visualizing and going through things in their head really fast, which can help for speed solves, like sort of getting used to intrinsically tracking pieces through OLL means you can predict PLL better, maybe, stuff like that. Um, it's just completely untapped because it hasn't been an official event, which makes me sad. So, well, huh? I heard somebody in this call is in the WRC. And, uh, but the WRC is just like <laughs> this thing that hands down decisions. Uh, I, sometimes I'm people just, think it's like just that. poking fun. <laughs> but, well, uh, I remember um, my first experience with Speedblind is uh, it's, uh, Chris Hardwick uh, posted a video of him doing it in like 16 seconds, and I thought that was freaking amazing. And uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't be opposed to it being included. I mean, I don't even do blindfold, but I don't even do blindfold. Yeah, but speed so, blind, you don't have to know blindfolded. You just do a speed uh, solve in your head. Like, that's a little over my head. So it sounds like it, but anytime I tell somebody and then get them to try it, it's not that bad. I did one. I did a team speed blind with Rafi once, and then he <laughs> did, went and did it himself and set the world record. I think. But oh, wow. like it's like okay, you have done cross on your head before for practicing for British, or a lot of people have. So then, okay, pick a middle layer edge, like let's say red blue, uh, and track where the red sticker goes. 
crosses like whatever five to seven moves uh, and maybe three or four affect that piece. And then you know where that red sticker goes from the red blue piece. And then look at the red blue corner that goes in the first layer. Do the same thing with the red sticker or the white sticker. And then you just you have those tick stickers. You know where that pair is. And you don't really need to be doing moves in a cube to imagine how you would solve that pair. You know F2L, right? You just yes. you just keep doing this. It's not really any more complicated than that. And even though it sounds like a lot of things to memorize, as you're doing it, like it sort of it just stays in your head. Yeah, you uh, go and go over the solution cool. again and again as well. So it's it makes it easier to remember. Uh, yeah, okay. exactly. You are not allowed to uh, turn the cube while memo, right? Absolutely no turns. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Well, if it's in, if it becomes official, I'll give it a shot. Yeah, I think uh, I recall. So the the way it would become official is you start holding it unofficially because people are interested. Uh, I, I'm sort of considering trying to like get more people interested by doing something with it, like doing more solves and maybe videos or so. I just haven't. Is that how five, six, seven blind got a five, four and five blind? I mean, got uh, official? Yeah, it's because people did them unofficially, um, and okay. so they were just introduced. Okay. All right. Well, uh, speed blind is cool. People who are interested, check it out. Try it out. Host it at competitions. Make it official. Lucas really wants it to be. Do just try it. Uh, like when you're <laughs> stuck in a car and you can't, you're not allowed to make moves because your like sister doesn't like the noise of turns. Not that my sister would mind. She's cool. Um, just try going through a speed solve and see how far you can get. You'll probably be surprised how far you can get. Um, and you get to practice the kinds of manipulations on QBs that you do during solves anyhow. So hopefully you only get better. Okay. And I guess um, that's pretty much it. And then we just got the few closing topics. Um, oh, yeah, I forgot to ask you for your beginner's tip, Lucas. Basically what it is is I'm going to ask you in a second for any tip for a beginner or just a general cubing tip for anybody that – oh, I just got some. Getting some phone feedback from Tom. Yeah, sorry about that. Yeah. But uh, I'm just going to ask you for any tip for a general cubing cuber, I guess, and you just give me one. Anything about going to competitions or methods. Hmm. So, yeah, I'm just going to ask you about that. Um, while we go over the world records since last episode, it's been about a month. It's been exactly a month and a day since the last episode, and since then, we got a uh, square one single, and then Felix went to a competition, so we obviously know, you know what happened with that. Um, <laughs> Andrea Santam Bogrio, Andrea Santam Bogrio, got a square one single, seven point four one seconds. Yeah, got balls lucky. Like this is. The is that what happened? Yeah, this is the cool thing about square one. Like occasionally you get freak scrambles. That people uh, haven't we already covered this on Cubecast? Yes, I think last episode. Oh, okay. So I've already said all this. This is actually too far from the the 4.4 one we discussed in the sense that it was sort of like unexpected. But yeah. it turns out in this case, it was pretty clear there was no cheating, and so there's there wasn't even actually an official reconstruction. Like I think he couldn't tell for sure what he did, but yeah. there wasn't a good reason to believe there was cheating, and there was some good evidence that everything was done right. So it was a totally fine world record, even if it was completely lucky. So it's kind right. of a good counterexample to we just suspect everything. Yeah. And then Felix, 
Rubik's Cube average, 6.54. <laughs> yeah. What? what? Almost almost a full second improvement yeah. from the old one. The 3x3 is broken now. <laughs> it's like... because of, only because of him. He's yeah. only been, the only time he's ever not been in first place for a round was Worlds 11, right? Yeah. Still, yes. and he's just getting faster. You know, I predicted that. <laughs> in a QCast episode right before Worlds, I predicted that he would win every round except for the final, and it happened. I don't know. Well, yeah. well that was yeah. right. Yeah. Um, so, pretty much uh, 6.54 average. One-handed single, 9.05. Also, Felix? Yeah. Yes. Just craziness. And then 5x5 five five average, 55.33. Yeah, wow. the 3x3 the, the three three average is kind of annoying, though, because it's like, uh, it's Keeving's less exciting again. He's just out in front. There's less, like, contenders to the title. Yeah, I mean, for a while, Mets was up there, and there's someone else... There's a few other people, but I guess Felix is just proving again that he's unstoppable. Yeah. Well, what's yeah. Matt's unofficial results like? Like, what are his records at home? Um, I think he's, like, on average, half second slower than Felix, if that's my understanding. But if he gets lucky, you know, everyone can get a lucky average of five. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, sub-seventh... Average is freaking nuts. Ugh. Makes my hurt. Uh, hurts my head thinking about it. It conveniently uh, breaks everyone's, like, anyone's ever descriptions or predictions of how fast we could go. Yeah. Yeah. The the whole, like, few years ago, the talks of human limit. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, sure, fine. If you could go really fast and not think in whatever, maybe, possibly eight seconds, but, like, maybe in a hundred years. Yeah. <laughs> when we have chips in our brain, maybe we can go sub nine or something like that. Yeah. Um, so, I guess that's it for the world records. Good job, Felix. Good job, Andrea. Um, and I guess we're gonna ask Lucas now for his beginner's tip. A beginner's tip. Um, yes. I would say don't be afraid to try stuff. Uh, a lot of people. Um, don't go to competitions because they're afraid that they're not fast enough or whatever, or they don't try new methods and um, therefore sort of just get stuck on the default. Um, and so you can do perfectly fine by just sort of going the default path, um, learn some British, do this, do that, but it's kind of boring. And all the interesting thing comes from learning different methods, trying different things, figuring out your stuff yourself. Sometimes it makes you faster, sometimes not. Uh, but it makes it much more interesting, and then you always have much more to share. And I think that's very worthwhile. It keeps you, it keeps things interesting as you get fast. And then if you sort of level out, which I kind of have, um, it still makes for lots of interesting things to do and share with people. So try lots of stuff um, while you have the time. Amazing! That was an amazing tip. Wow. Yeah. Nice. All right, and and basically what we're gonna do is take that and compile it into a list of all the tips that beginners give, I mean, that the guests give. And that's what we're doing right now. Okay. That's cool. Um, I guess it's time for the puzzler. Tom, you have something to say about the answer, but we'll get that, we'll get to that. um, Oh, I don't care anymore. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
So we had 41 submissions for the answer. And uh, let's just read the puzzle real quick. So basically, get nine matchsticks and create the following equation using Roman numerals. One minus three equals two. So it should be like one vertical chopstick for one and then three vertical chopsticks for three. And then one minus three equals two. Using two matchsticks for the equal sign. What's the least amount of movements you need to make to create an equation that's correct? <laughs> so if you move one matchstick, that's one move. Two matchsticks, that's two move. One minus three is obviously an incorrect equation. And how many moves does it take to make it correct? And uh, Tom, what was your answer? Or Lucas, do you have a do you have an answer? Oh well, I guess. I'm seeing the script. Uh, there's also the obvious fun one here, which is you take a yeah. matchstick that's useless and put it over the uh, equal sign to make it not equals, which is one. Um, but you could also just uh, turn it upside down without moving any. Oh, yeah, I forgot I pasted that to you. Oops, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I, f- I forgot I pasted the whole thing to you. Um, so, yeah, basically the answer is zero moves. And uh, that's pretty much why I said get nine matchsticks and create it instead of typing it on a computer or something, because that would be a little bit different, um, and using Roman numerals too. So if you turn that whole thing upside down, it is 2 equals 3 minus 1, which is obviously a correct equation. So Surely if you turn it, it upside zero down, moves. You're, moving, you're moving 9? So no. That's if, you move around, if you turn your head, right, <laughs> or move your body to a different point of view, yes? <laughs> Whatever. Okay. So there are two people who got this uh, uh, puzzle right. is Ben Whitmore and Stefan Parkman. <laughs> and Stefan Parkman said, please give us easy, uh, harder puzzlers. Apparently it was too easy for him. <laughs> out of like 41 people, yeah, two people out of 41 got it correct. And uh, I flipped a coin, and the winner was Ben Whitmore. I'm sorry, Stefan. And uh, he's going to win a $15 puzzle from Amazon.com. I already sent him the email. And congratulations to him. There's going to be another puzzler next episode. So probably a week or two from now, there's going to be a new one. And uh, you can win a prize from us if you get the correct answer. And I guess the final thing for the show is a Skype Team Blind. Oh, Woo. yeah. Yeah. Why don't we do Skype Speed Team Blind? Like someone, someone could just trace while we're on the show. Like have like a twenty-minute interval. Uh, <laughs> we just do it together. Just, just edit the timeout. Wow. No, don't, don't edit the timeout. Why? <laughs> just include like twenty minutes of silence. We, we could do this over. We could totally do this actually, if you'd want, or at least some of it. Uh, <laughs> can I? Time. Can I opt? Can I opt out? I don't know. I, don't know. I have to sleep at some point. Oh, exactly. Good point. Um, I'll read out the scramble uh, for the listeners. Always, always, D is for down, and U is, uh, I mean... He was, uh... uh, D is for down, B is for back. Yeah, I'm sorry. So, we got down, back to, uh, F2, U, F2, U prime, R2, down prime, R2, U, back, R prime, F prime, U, L2, back, R, back prime, U prime, L. And uh, who wants to call? Uh, I guess Lucas? I'll call. 
I guess he's usually the guest who calls. All right. Um, I just want to say, um, in the five episodes that we've done since we've come back, I haven't gotten a success yet. So it's up to you. Oh. All right. Okay. Whenever you're ready. Um, okay. What do you know? <laughs> do you know what X2 is? Oh, <laughs> uh, is that the one where... It's no, like an R2. Yeah. <laughs> okay, you ready? Green in front, white on top? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay, I get to do the moves on mine, right? Yes. Okay, uh, turn the cube like R2, just the cube rotation. And then for cross to R, F, U prime, F2, L. And then do another X2. So, original thing on top, uh, original color back on top. Uh, then spin the cube right. So take the front face and move it to the right side. And Is that a Y prime? That's a Y prime. Do you like Y and Y prime? Yes. Okay. And then uh, L prime, U, L, to insert left slot. Uh, then do Y, turn the cube left, uh, like that. And then U, and then I call it a K, but uh, R, U, R prime. And then insert the back. R prime, U prime, R. Uh, then the left slot, uh, piece, well, whatever. Um, L prime, U prime, L, and then U prime, and then a trigger. L prime, U prime, L again. Ooh, and this is convenient. You can actually do some edge control. Um, R, U2, and then edge control R2, F, R, F prime. And then edges are oriented. So double sune, which is going to start with an RU, R prime U, R U prime, R prime U, R U two, R prime. And then a U and it's done. Nice. No. Yes, no? No. No. Yeah. That was cool. Tom, did you guess? Yeah, yeah. I assume okay. you did like sledgehammer for the last pair. Yeah. Um I guess I didn't get to show off ELS. Um <laughs> Yeah. Actually, that that was ELS. It just happened to get the corner. So CLS just happened to be an OLL. Oh, uh, okay. Um, which just happened to be double soon and skip PLL. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was all planned. <laughs> 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 all right. Well, uh, unfortunately, that was a no-go for me. Uh, but it sounded like a cool soft. Yeah. I got I got two slots in the, in the cross. So I think I messed up somewhere. I probably did the wrong you. Um, but uh, I guess that's it for the show. What? I was going to ask, can you take a photo and send it, then I'll see if I can figure out what you did. Oh, wow. No, I already kind of did a lot of bunch of stuff to it already. Oh. So it might be too far gone. Um, so I want to thank Lucas for coming on to the show. Thank you. Thank you. I don't get to do this as often as you guys. Uh, well, uh, it sounded like you had fun. Yeah. So. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm like I'm like passing out right now. Um, but uh, I enjoyed having you on, and uh, I guess do the outro. Our website is at qcastpodcast.com. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com/slash/qcastpodcast or just qcast. Um, and I want to thank again speedpuzzles.com. You can go there, use the coupon code QCAST for $5 off of any order. Thanks to them. They ship internationally. 
And uh, if you have any questions for the show, questions for Tom or me or any other guests, um, I'm not quite sure who's going to be next on the show. Perhaps Tim Reynolds. Hopefully we'll have him sometime this year. Uh, send it to cubecast.gmail.com next week for the puzzler. So stay tuned for that next episode for the puzzler. And uh, thanks to Lucas again. And Tom? Yeah. You all right? Yeah, I'm fine. Are you okay? I'm okay. You sound not good. Uh, <laughs> I'm all right. And uh, see you guys next time. See you later.